so excited to be doing this interview for Religion Unplugged. Today I have the honor of talking with Ava. Ava is a fulfillment coordinator and sales enthusiast at Severa. And Severa is a social enterprise that gives dignified employment to human trafficking survivors. Today I'll be talking with Ava about Christian misconceptions around human trafficking. Now, when I say Christian misconceptions, I mean ideas that are false, incomplete, misguided, or unhelpful that stem from the teachings or understandings or the morals or the accepted truths within Christian culture and traditions. So basically tendencies within Christian thinking around human trafficking that are unhelpful at best and harmful at worst. So Ava, welcome. Maybe we can just get started with you telling us a little bit about your job at Severa, and a little bit about your background and how you came to work with Severa. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me. So as you said, I'm a survivor of human trafficking. I was trafficked for most of my adult life um, in the United States across um, the nation. And I was actually rescued by being arrested And so when I was arrested was the first time that I was able to get away from my trafficker. And I realized that I needed something different and that what my trafficker had been doing to me was wrong. And so I went to an organization called Valiant Hearts and lived there in the safe house from the charges that I had gotten when I was rescued. I had an ankle monitor on and it was really hard for me to heal and reintegrate into society, but that was actually how I met Severa. And so Severa is arms wide open. They want to offer employment to survivors of human trafficking, but they don't have any qualifications because at the time I had no job history because I had been trafficked for my whole adulthood. I um, had a criminal background that was very extensive. I had an ankle monitor on, I was on probation and I also wasn't legally allowed to get a bank account. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of things that were hindering me from entering the formal sector, you could say. And Severa kind of looked past all of those things and just said, you know, I know that you don't have those, not because of what you did, but because of what someone did to you. Mm -hmm. And so they hired me about a year and a half ago. And so it has been amazing working with them. They're a really set aside company and have helped me through stuff, even outside of work, have empowered me to go to school. And so now today I am in college and I have a full-time job. And so things are going really well. The Lord is good. (laughs) That's so amazing. I love that. And, you know, I think it's important that you touched on how you came to work at Severa, because I think a lot of people don't understand, like, once someone gets out of trafficking, like a lot of people don't understand the challenges that a survivor faces. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So let's jump right into Christian misconceptions around human trafficking. And so just to kind of set the stage, Ava, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience with the Christian church, just so we have an idea of where you're coming from in that context. Yeah, definitely. Um, The organization that I lived at called uh, Valiant Hearts was a Christian organization, and they really taught me the love of God. I remember when I first got there, I was not nice. (laughs) 
(laughs) And I wasn't nice because I was so scared. Mm -hmm. All I had known my entire existence was that if you do something for me, I then owe you and I Mm -hmm. have to give you something of me. And I didn't have anything to give. And so they loved me unconditionally, no strings attached, no judgment, no condemnation, and really taught me like who Jesus was, his character, how much he loved me. And we dove into like the new Testament and some of the old, and they just really taught me what it looks like to be a believer. And so mm-hmm. I've also had hurts in the church. I went to, um, a evangelical congregation and just, a lot of things that they were doing were not the Jesus that I had known. Mm. And so there was a lot of hurts there, but um, I now go to a different church and it's amazing. What would you say are some of the myths and the misconceptions that Christians in particular, like as a group, get hung up on when it comes to human trafficking? I think that the biggest one that I see is the sensationalism behind trafficking Mm -hmm. of it's you're getting stolen off of your front porch and you're chained to a bed and you're being like repeatedly drugged and raped Mm -hmm. and and yes that absolutely does happen but in the united states trafficking looks way different and Mm -hmm. it almost hides behind this lens of choice and so Mm -hmm. to someone that's outside of being trafficked would just think that the woman is prostituting herself or something Mm. like that. And Mm. so I feel like the biggest misconception, especially in the Christian realm is just that it's not the movie taken Mm -hmm. in the United States. It can be, but that is the minority as opposed Mm -hmm. to the majority, which is, you know, looks very much so like chosen prostitution, but it's Mm. not. Um, So have you like in your personal interactions with Christians, as you go through your journey as a survivor, um, have you observed these Christian beliefs or tendencies directly influencing survivor care efforts? Yes, it's not across the board. I have definitely met Christians that advocate for these things, but I also um, have met a group of Christians that for some reason, the misconception is that therapy is not needed because if you have something wrong with you, if you have PTSD, if you have anxiety, then you can, you can just pray and rub your like God magic genie and Mm -hmm. he will immediately heal you. And so they, kind of discourage psychoactive drugs. And they say that therapy isn't needed. And I truly believe that the Lord has downloaded into his people, these mechanisms so -hmm. that his babies can live a fruitful life. And some of us who have had copious amounts of trauma that others couldn't even fathom, they do need extra help. They have literal chemical imbalances and they also need that helping hand. They need wise counsel that can give them the tools to be able to sustain life. And so Mm -hmm. I see that a lot in the evangelical church is that, no, you'll be healed. You just need to pray. Mm -hmm. And, and I always like to say like, God is the one that chooses that though. Like we can pray and believe all day. That does, if we pray and it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that we have less faith. That means that he has a different plan. Mm. And so 
I just, that's a huge misconception is that therapy and psychoactive drugs are not needed for a Mm -hmm. survivor or that they're almost stigmatized, which is very disheartening. Yeah. And, you know, an act of faith could be going to therapy. (laughs) That's what I think. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's really upsetting. And I really want to touch on, um, A few things you said earlier to me about what you would say to Christian parents. You mentioned um, Hmm. you've had some issues getting Christian parents or people who, you know, may have children um, to care about this issue of human trafficking because they say like, oh, well, it's not going to happen to my child. In the church, I have heard people say it could be your child and and this could happen to anybody and, and it could be your kid. And they what it does is it prompts this like visceral response from the parents of like, oh my gosh, it could be my kid. Mm. And statistically speaking, the women that are being trafficked are normally um, minorities. They come from poverty. They're in foster care. And yes, it can happen to any child, but that shouldn't be the reason why you care about trafficking. Mm. Like it shouldn't be, oh, I care about trafficking because it might be my kid that's trafficked. It should be, I care about trafficking because the women that are being trafficked and the men that are being trafficked are Jesus's sons and daughters. Mm. And they're my sisters and brothers and Mm. no human should be treated like this. It's a sin. And so that's why you should care about trafficking. It shouldn't be, because your child could potentially be trafficked because then, as you said, it then takes the other hand of like, okay, well, I don't care about trafficking anymore Mm -hmm. because I know it won't be my kid. Yeah. And I don't have kids. So I don't need to care something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or Mm -hmm. I don't have kids, like you said, and it's just so, so taboo and so not true, but parents do have an active role in the prevention aspect of it. Because even if your kid might not be trafficked, they could still be sexually exploited. I feel like in the Christian church, not talking about sex is detrimental. You Mm. need to have open conversations with your children about what sex is and what healthy sex looks like. And to be able to have a line of trust between you and your child. If you talk to your child about sex, then it's not this thing that is bad or hidden where they won't tell you about it. If something Mm -hmm. happens, it's an open conversation. So they feel that they can trust you and talk to you. And then also too, that trust will build and grow. And so when I get older and a man comes up to me and says, Oh, you're so beautiful. I can give you the life you've always dreamed of. Like, come with me, do this favor for me. And I'll do all of this for you. They'll go back and tell you like this Mm. man told me this. And so then that way it's prevention. And your child won't have to go through some of the things that other children have to go through, but it starts with you, you know, and your yeah. actions towards helping and preventing. To bring it back to helping survivors, um, how would you, well, let's phrase the question, what is the church missing when the church tries to help survivors? There's kind of two aspects of it. And the church is missing a line of wisdom and humility in mm-hmm. my, in my experience. That's what I have seen. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. And instead of 
trying to come in and and be the savior. Mm -hmm. It's letting the people that have walked before you that are in the mud right now and helping survivors, it's getting behind them. And it's being like, Hey, I really care about this issue, but I don't know a lot about it. I don't know Mm -hmm. much about trafficking and how could I, because I haven't Mm -hmm. been around it, but I want to help you because you've been in this space and you know what you're doing. And so I'm going to partner with you and we're going to try and fight this together. And Mm -hmm. so it's just unifying the church and Christians as a whole to be able to say, Hey, this is way too big for one of us or all Mm -hmm. of us. It's only the Lord that can do it. And so we, as his babies need to come together and just partner because every single person in the realm of trafficking, it is so vast. And so you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a case manager. You can be a banker because women that are getting out of the game, they can't get bank accounts or you could be, you know, a marketer, like you do marketing and you do, Mm -hmm. um, visuals and stuff like that. And so you could help the organization with things like that. There are so many ways to fight human trafficking and it's not, it's more hurting when you're like, I'm going to get right beside a survivor and I'm going to help her when you don't know anything Mm -hmm. about her. You need to partner with the people that know a lot Mm -hmm. about her and know how to help her specifically, because it is a very intricate form of abuse psychologically, physically. And so it's letting the people that know and and partnering with their wisdom to go forward. And that's how we can really, really help. You mentioned earlier today about that you did have some good interactions um, with the church and with Christians. Um, So what made those positive interactions different than the negative interactions you had? Um, Is it like question of the posture that someone had, the education, the attitude, what would you say set that apart? I would definitely say that it was all of them. Mm. So the organization that I went to, like I said, was a Christian organization. They were so humble in that it wasn't that they were ever trying to control me. They weren't ever trying to tell me about myself, but they also knew about trauma. And they knew that the reason why I was acting the way that I was, wasn't because I was mad at them. And it wasn't because of me as a human, it was because of the circumstances of my life and what I did in order to survive. And so they had the knowledge coupled with the wisdom and then coupled Mm -hmm. with humility. It was just an amazing amazing opportunity. And they, they also, a huge thing was that they listened to me. Mm. Like when I said something, it was like, none of my words went void and they wanted to help me in any way that I could and always championed me. Like, it wasn't like, Oh, because you've, you know, all of this has happened to you. You can't do this, that, or this or that. And so, you know, it's just, I think it's just those three things, the Holy spirit, and just always, coming with a humble heart before the Lord. I would ask um, my case manager a question and her response always would baffle me because it would be like, okay, let me pray about that. And I'll let you know. Mm. And it's just like, they always were at the Lord's feet and we're asking him and we're humble in doing so. 
and knowledgeable at the same time though. Um, I really want to go back to something you said in the beginning about the misconception of choice. I think that's really pivotal. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you would agree, but in my experience, um, Christians tend to have a very one-sided view of this idea of choice or prostitution. Um, And what I mean by a one-sided view is that generally, I feel like Christians use the word prostitute to mean a woman who's choosing to be there. You know, Christians love that phrase like um, sexual sin or sexual immorality. Um, In my experience, at least, like I was raised in the church, I grew up associating the word prostitute with a choice, like a a sinful woman, a woman who's choosing to be there instead of a woman who is most likely being exploited. I, I, I didn't have that like association until I was an adult and started doing my own research. I can understand why it is a misconception to them. Prostitution has been going on. I mean, it's in Genesis, you know? And so it has been something that has been happening, but about 95% of those women, and that's not like an exact statistic of those women that are in prostitution have had some sort of sexual trauma, physical Mm -hmm. trauma, or have been homeless. And so we have to stop this, this concept of that, that it's a sin because Mm -hmm. I like to explain it like this. It is a sin. Like sexual immorality is absolutely a sin, but they might not be believers. Mm. So what is a sin to them? And who Mm. are we to judge them for their sins? Because we sin as well. And we know the Lord, you know what I mean? And so it's like, even though they are in the midst of, from the outside looking in looks like a sin, Mm. they might not have the same convictions that we have. And Jesus hung out with people that were ostracized for sin. He didn't Mm -hmm. hang out with the Pharisees. He hung out with the people at the ground level, tax collectors and all. And so we need to stop acting like we're coming from a higher position because we know what sin is Mm -hmm. and they don't like you said also too, or like I said earlier, there's no differentiation in the United States, a prostituting woman who is circumstantially prostituting herself and Mm -hmm. someone who is being trafficked is going to look exactly the same. Now that we have this information, it should not go void from our ears. Mm -hmm. We now know they look exactly the same. So we cannot judge one or the other because we don't even know which one is which, you know, we just have to love and it's all Mm -hmm. just about showing the love of Christ, regardless if they're a prostitute or not, they deserve Jesus. And so don't condemn them. And the aspect of sexual immorality. Yeah, absolutely. You're not Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. you have sins as well. And so do not judge his daughters or his sons. I think it's something that's so that, you know, just like the, the word prostitute or the idea of prostitution is so stigmatized without people even understanding what it means, you know, without even people understanding, okay, you know, put choice in quotation marks. What is a choice? You know, I, I heard a quote once, I can't remember who said it, but it was a, um, a survivor leader. And she said, you know, you can think of it as like the choice of the people who have the fewest choices. And Mm. so is it really a choice? You know what I mean? Like if you're choosing to let your children starve or to go into 
prostitution, you know, actual like forced yeah. prostitution. It's not really a choice. That's not how we would think of choice. So, right. Oh, yeah. I love your perspective on that. Um, okay. So we've been talking um, a little bit more about survivor care, but I also really want to talk about advocacy and raising awareness in the fight against human trafficking, because I think that's where a lot of people start. Um, you yeah. know, a lot of people, they have good intentions. They want to raise awareness about this issue. They want to be advocates. Um, and of course, this is all connected to survivor care. But because mm. the misconceptions and the myths can start in the beginning and influence those people who are simply trying to raise awareness, I think it can then influence the survivors down the line in a negative way. Yes. So I think this subject of Christian misconceptions is so important because Christians as a group claim to care about justice and about advocating for the oppressed, but good intentions aren't enough. You know, Christians are a group who can be incredible allies to survivors, but in order to do so, these would-be advocates need a realistic picture of what trafficking looks like, how it happens, the implications it has for the victim, and what survivors really need. I would really like to hear your perspective about what would you tell a Christian who is trying to channel their beliefs, their convictions, and their responsibility as a Christian into this you know, idea of advocacy or raising awareness? And how can Christians be better advocates? Um, I would definitely tell them, you know, to start from ground zero. You know, mm. like you said, just read books. There are so many books. There are so many things because if you don't know about the subject, you can't talk about the subject. I mean, you can, mm -hmm. but you're going to do more harm than you are good. So learn about it. And then also too, there's so many orgs that will have nights where they'll talk about human trafficking. And then, and that's the key thing about advocating is talk about it, mm -hmm. talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. It's not, you know, it's not a taboo. It's not something that happens in a different country. And so we need to bring it to the light. As Christians, that is the, literally what we are called to do is bring light to darkness. Mm. And so the best way to do that is to just talk about it, have it be an open conversation and talk about what we know about, because if we meet someone and, you know, we can tell them about human trafficking, we want what we say to have truth. Everything mm. that we say, we want to weigh it against the word of God. And we also want to know that it's truth and that we're not falsifying information. The thing about the word advocate is that the word advocate is, is referred to as a lawyer. So a lawyer is advocating for the person that has been wrongly accused to the judge. And so that's how we need to look at the word advocate is that we are the lawyers because mm -hmm. these women have been robbed of their voices. And we want to advocate to our people until that woman is empowered enough so that she can use her voice because survivors mm -hmm. can speak. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I'm hearing so, it. <laughs> in, in the meantime, though, we need to advocate and we need to yeah. let people know and we need to use our privilege and our clout mm -hmm. in order to lift up the oppressed, not to oppress them even more. Wow, that's so good. Do you have any orgs that you would recommend to people if they want to get educated? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Polaris is a good one just for looking up statistics, figuring out what trafficking looks like, what it is. Um, so Polaris, and then also to two um, survivor leaders that I would highly recommend listening to their stories. And they also have trainings and such, but Rebecca Bender and Rebecca Charleston. Mm. So um, both of those survivor leaders have been in the space for over 10 years and they are gifted and talented in teaching and um, both Christians. And so they are very gifted women. So talk to survivors, go to Polaris.com. We talked about the misconceptions around the word prostitution or prostitute. Are there any other terms or phrases or language that Christians need to either leave behind or adjust in order to communicate what's actually happening in trafficking and to be more sensitive to survivors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the words to use with survivors would definitely have to be another I mean I could talk about it for hours because there are so many so many things that um might seem uplifting to Christianese and in our Christianese language it might seem great but to them they have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. like I remember when I first got out of the game someone came up to me and they were praying over me and like laying hands and praying for me. And I left and I looked at my house parent, which is someone that lives in the safe house with me. And I was like, I have no idea what they just said. Mm. I did not understand a word that they said because they were talking in like biblical terms. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I was such a baby Christian. Like I was still drinking milk, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm like, (laughs) I have no idea what you're throwing at me. Like this is steak, you know, like I, I just didn't know what they were talking about. And so I think that it's just the Christianese needs to stop and the human Mm. needs to begin, Mm. you know? And also too, I don't think that, I don't think that, um, I think that there needs to be training before interacting with the women it's trauma and trauma Mm -hmm. hurts and you don't know what you have to say. I mean, I could definitely talk about horrific instances where people have said things to survivors that have completely triggered them Mm -hmm. and sent them in the opposite direction when the Christian person that was saying that to them was trying to propel them forward. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely think that that's, um, a broader way, larger topic in training. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do want to talk about the word prostitute Mm -hmm. because when we are saying that that woman is a prostitute, we are giving her the identity of a prostitute. Mm -hmm. As we all know, like identity is something that humans struggle with. And so we cannot attach something that someone has done or something that someone has been forced to do to Mm -hmm. their identity because it stunts you in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. Once you've been labeled with something, it's like the scarlet letter and you Mm -hmm. have to walk around with it and walk around with it. And it's like, that is not a prostitute. That is a prostituted woman. Regardless if it's circumstantial prostitution or if it's forced prostitution, there 
it's something it's mm-hmm. not her identity. And so I think that that's important also is that if we believe that when we come to Christ, that we are born again. And if we believe the biblical truths, then we need to believe that none of those women that are still stuck in the game or that are in the game, none of them are walking in their true identity. They are all lost and the Lord will find them. We need to stop that language as well. Um, Okay. I have one more question for you, Ava. Um, This week I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast and I listened to the episode with Tarana Burke who started the Me Too movement. And one thing that Tarana said that I thought was so powerful is that trauma is isolating. Mm -hmm. And when you explain something traumatic that's happened to you or that you've been through, and then someone else says, me too, you immediately feel like you're not alone. So Ava, how can people who have not been through sexual trauma or trafficking or similar experiences, how can they also help remind you and other survivors that you're not alone? Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, so a, a huge mentor to me has been, um, Vanessa and she has not been trafficked. And I have many women in my life. My case manager has not been trafficked. Um, and a lot of people that I love have not been, but they don't, they're still vulnerable. Like, although they haven't been trafficked, there are many elements to trauma, you know, like they might've not been sexually assaulted and they might've not been trafficked but they've dealt with depression before, you know, or they've, they've dealt with a loss of their mother or they've dealt with, you know, some sort of element or aspect that poses vulnerability and, and vulnerability is basically an open door to say, Oh, wow, you're entrusting me with that, that raw part of your heart. And that, that thing that happened to you, So you're hearing me when I'm telling you my raw part of my heart, because I mean, not everybody has been trafficked and I hope that, you know, my dream and goal and wish is that no one else has to be, you know? So it is important to not say to someone, I know what you've been through, or I understand what you've been through and using verbiage like that, but saying, Hey, I haven't been through what you've been through and I have not experienced what you've experienced, but you are strong and you are resilient. And there are aspects that I can relate to, but I have no idea what it's like, but I just want to let you know that, that you made it and that now you're here and now me and you are the same, you know? And that's the whole thing is ostracization is from hierarchy perspective and standards of you're down here because of what's happened to you. But once you are vulnerable with someone, then it's equal level playing ground. Then it's like, wait, I'm up here with you, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think it's just a a holistic view of vulnerability, honesty, and, um, and making sure that you don't, you don't say that, you know what it's like, because you don't, you know, and I don't know what being living a normal life without trauma looks like. So I can't say that I know what your life is like as well, you know? Mm -hmm. 
yeah. So I think it's just important to, to point out, point out the differences, point out the similarities and be able to connect, not necessarily through the me too, but through the, that sucks that you went through that, but I love you regardless, you know? Ava, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. And so thank you so much for your time and your energy. um, And thanks for being vulnerable. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me today. It was an honor. Of course. Talk to you later. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Elsa Cruz, edited and produced by Peter Freebie. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.com.